Hello, and welcome back to Poldark Podcast, a podcast dedicated to the discussion of the Poldark Saga. We are your hosts. My name is Rita. I live in England. I tumble at Princess of Podark, and I tweet at Rita Bites. And I am Michelle. I live in the States. I blog at Poldark Muses and tweet at Musings. Unfortunately, Delonda couldn't join us today, and we miss our boo. Come back to us soon. Uh, today's podcast is the first in a series of our new book club episodes. Woo-hoo! Now, we, <laughs> we highly encourage that you read along with us during these episodes. Otherwise, you might end up a little lost. And it's just way more fun this way. Now, this week, we'll be discussing the first six chapters of The Angry Tired. So you better have read up. <laughs> Uh, for those of you who wish to avoid spoilers for Series 4 content, this would be a very good time to, sadly, turn us off. Uh, we'll miss you, but we're sure to be talking about the books and show then, of course. So come back and join us when the series starts. And please feel free to get in touch with your opinions on what we're reading. Uh, we'd love to hear all of your different perspectives. And book clubs are all about discussions, don't you know? So if you didn't reach out this week... Don't worry, the ask box and email are always open. Uh, And so, without further ado, let's get on with the show. Uh, So, The Angry Tide is the seventh book in the Poldark Saga. It was released in 1977 and is the last book set in the 18th century. Like, I don't think it's a spoiler to tell you that there is a 10-year time jump following the novel which ends up dividing the first seven novels and the latter five that follow. the two distinct halves of the saga. Yeah, and this is something interesting to keep in mind as we go further in the novel, uh, especially towards the end, as it will have a profound effect on how the storylines are wrapped up, or in some cases, not wrapped up. And there are dozens of parallels, so keep your little beady eyes out for allusions to earlier novels. Now, Michelle, I know that you said previously that this is your favorite book in the saga. Have you enjoyed getting to read it again? Does it still hold up? Um, you know something? This book is so meaty and full of so many of the things that I absolutely love about Winston Graham and his writing that it is by far my all-time favorite book of this series. Um bar none. You know, I know that I I really started to enjoy uh, The Four Swans as we got into that and did our book club on that uh, last time when before I really, it really was a hard read. Um, But man, this one is just absolutely fantastic. Yes. Mm -hmm. I think it might be one of my favorites. Yeah. I'm very bad at decision making. Yeah. So I can't tell you which one is my favorite, but mm-hmm. it's like top two. I think, I honestly think this is one of my favorite books, period. And, you know, as a old, decrepit woman, I've read quite a few books. <laughs> so let's dive in with the discussion questions. You gave us lots to think about this week. Yeah. The first question was what or who has struck you the most in these six chapters and why? Now, this could be a specific person, storyline, action, and or situation. Uh, Absolutely Addicted Poldarky said, Ross and his state of mind, uh, his ruminations, musings, and memories of his life, marriage, and family. This is where I stop to ponder the sheer brilliance of Winston Graham. His ability to take the reader inside the head of his characters is amazing. Uh, River Woman Rules, who is a new uh, contributor, Thank you and welcome. Um, She says, uh, although he intellectually takes, makes the decision uh, to put the Hugh Armitage affair behind, it continually gnaws at his emotions and spirit. It makes him doubt himself and the fundamental values of loyalty, trust, and faith. It's very painful to observe. Prairie Cheesehead said the conversation that Ross has with Dwight in chapter six about DeMels' infidelity and Sarah's health. This conversation struck me in two ways. First, it shows the deep bond between these two friends that they could confide in each other. 
Ross about his marital woes and Dwight about knowing that his infant daughter will die and how he can't bring himself to break this to Caroline. Secondly, it shows how deeply hurt Ross was by Demelza's actions, even if he tries not to show it. Now, as much as I love Ross and Demelza's conversation, I have to say that this one touched me very deeply during this reread. These two men have been through hell in their lives during the service to their country, and they're both shaken to their core over the turmoil and grief taking place much closer to home, and Ross knows what it means and how it feels to lose a child, so this must raise memories of Julia, if not that moment, then at least upon reflection. It really is um, one of my favorite passages in the book, uh, and it I just love how it shows the 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 fraternity the intimate fraternity between uh these two men let's see uh attorney msb3 says ross and demelza's effort to rebuild their relationship their conversations ring true and their words and actions are consistent with the book's characters and plot up to this point the storyline drew me in as a reader and i want to know how it will progress and be resolved so when i first read the series I would 100% say that the Russ and Melza parts were the most important and interesting passages for me. But this time around, this may be like the second or third time I'm reading, <laughs> I was just really struck by all the other voices we have going on in the first few chapters. you got your Ozzy, your George, even George's mum. <laughs> I mean, it's all going on in there and they're just as compelling and interesting to me. I mean, Ozzy's evil plot to have his wife sent to some kind of mental asylum <laughs> while he bangs her sister is like something out of a telenovela. And I'm enthralled, yeah. yeah. I can't wait till he goes into like a coma or gets murdered by his secret evil twin. Wait, maybe he's the evil twin. <laughs> Hashtag drama. Oh, yeah. Um, Osborne, uh, we're going to get to him in a minute, but uh, I swear, it's, it is... It's crazy, man. It's crazy. Okay, uh, the next question is, uh, what is the first word that comes to you when you think about Ross's mindset on his way home to Nampara? Uh, irritated was what attorney MSB3 said. Stagnation uh, was offered by Prairie Cheesehead. Crisis uh, by Absolutely Addicted Poldarkey. Reflective by Eva Levy. And Grief by River Woman Rules. In many ways, Ross's idealistic uh, river woman rules continues to say, despite his own failings, when others don't live up to his ideals, he is traumatized. His reflection in the coach that he has loved but two women in his life and they both turn to other men shows his desolation. Uh, for me personally, I'd go with deja vu. <laughs> is that one word or is that? It's a word. <laughs> it just felt incredibly similar to his homecoming in the first novel. And the very first shot of the show, I hope that they mirror that. Yeah. In. That would be good. That would be very, very cool. I mean, he isn't coming home from Battlefield this time, just Parliament, <gasps> but the mirroring of that journey gives me like a huge feeling of nostalgia when I was reading it. And just for that period of time in his life, it like really reinforced the fact that Ross might be older now, but he is just mi as mixed up and lost and confused as he was then. You know, before his apprehensions were about Elizabeth, but now they're about Demelza, and Ross being Ross, he is probably going to keep making the same mistakes <laughs> over and over again. Oh, Ross! Come on, man! <laughs> Learn! <laughs> uh, let's see. Uh, absolutely Addicted Poldarkey mentioned uh, one of my other favorite parts of the book. Um, I found it interesting that he acknowledges he has a wife and leaves it at that. <laughs> I love that section because it so clearly demonstrates the uncertainty Ross has as he approaches Nampara. Yes, he has a wife, but is she truly his? Um, and uh, MS, or I'm sorry, attorney MSB3 uh, felt, you know, during his contempl contemplations that Ross was giving the same level of importance to Demelza and Elizabeth in this section. And I'm going to read it just for, uh, just so that we've got it clear in our minds uh, before we start talking about it. Ross thought, my life seems to run in repetitive patterns. 
Long years ago, I forgot how many, I came back from Bristol in just such a coach, a young man limping and scarred from the American War and had just such company, a clerkly sort of man and his wife, but then they had a baby to hold, not a thin pockmarked girl. But I shared that coach too with a clergyman, Hulse, an old man now, whom I disliked almost, almost as much as I do this one. And we sparred in talk and got out disgruntled with each other. The time of year was different, October then, yet today the leaves are lying about from yesterday's storm as if it were autumn already. And the only major difference, perhaps, is that then I was poor, and to be shocked when I reached home to discover how poor I really was, and now I am prosperous. And then I was about to receive even the even greater shock of finding that the girl I loved was going to marry my cousin. And now I have a wife. Well, yes, I have a wife. I love that passage. Um, what do you think? Do you think that Ross is putting the same level of importance on um, Elizabeth as he does to Melza in this section? Not really. Mm -hmm. I think it's more of a discussion of how how his life's cyclical and how same sort of patterns tend to keep coming up. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's just like romantic drama <laughs> in his life. And as we continue reading the book, it becomes very, very clear that 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 is not the case um, anymore. Demelza is the love of his life. So our next question was, Ross and Demelza have a very frank conversation about the state of their marriage. More of a statement than a question, <laughs> but still. It was definitely a crowd favourite from our listeners. Easily said, the entirety of chapter three, when they first reunite, was an emotional roller coaster. Um, one moment I was nearly crying, and the next I was dying of laughter at their banter together. I personally have read that passage so many times before, and I loved it for its raw emotion and honesty. They both say so much of the right things about wanting each other again and wanting to work on their relationship and start over. My favourite part was definitely this passage. Oh, in a picture gallery, I cannot say that three out of five men would not pick a different picture from mine. It's not just looks. It's what's behind them. It's the familiarity of knowing someone intimately and yet wanting them all over again. It's the total commitment of personality. It's the ultimate spark between two people that light the flame. But who knows whether it will warm them or burn them up. <laughs> yeah. Um, but on this reread, I found myself growing really frustrated with both <laughs> of them at this point. I don't know if this is coloured by, like, my reaction to the new adaptation but I just felt like it was so much talking and they both talk a very good game but at the end of the day it doesn't change anything at all like they're both still insecure and unsure about where they stand and I just want to like shake them and tell them to just let go of the past I feel like all these conversations are just scratching at old wounds and they're both wondering why they're not healing. Well, it's because you're not letting go. <laughs> yes. Um, River Woman Rules uh, speaks eloquently about this conversation and hits on this theme of letting go of the past. Quote, unfortunately, the conversation resolved very little. Ross says that if he and Demelza are to go on, they must start again. You know, so it's like, okay, so do it. <laughs> Um, that's, that was my little editorial comment. Sorry. Uh, back to, uh, River Woman's rules quote. I believe that is the problem that plagues the couple throughout the angry tide. They are unable to start over. Demelza thinks they can just go on as before as if Hugh Armitage never happened. For Ross, that is impossible. The breach that Armitage caused needed to be acknowledged and addressed. Unfortunately, Demelza never wanted to or was unable to talk about Hugh Armitage in any meaningful sense. She dismisses Ross's attempts to do so with vague answers like, you know, Hugh's dead, so it's over. She never reassures Ross that, that Ross is her choice, not Hugh. And I completely agree with you, both of you, um, about the rawness and honesty that we see in this section. 
It's just too bad you both had to go screw around on one another to finally get to this point, you know? Right. <laughs> I mean, like two teenagers. I know, right? Oh, uh, absolutely addicted Poldarkey expressed a similar opinion and, uh, quote, was somewhat di dismayed at Ross for mentioning the beautiful women in London, questioning what she had been doing while he had been away and asking if Huba Dragon had tried to creep in her bed. I honestly felt sorry for Demelza at this point and didn't blame her for her tears. Perhaps Ross was trying to lighten the mood, you know, to joke with her as they used to do, but it was ill-timed. And that's exactly it. You know, they used to be able to tease one another um, about these things, about, you know, Hugh Bedruggan's obsession with her. And, you know, Demelza used to be able to wave it off. But because of this discretion uh, or indiscretion, um, I guess I'm, I'm trying to not to say adultery, but, you know, that's kind of that's basically what it is, people's. Um, you know, because of the infidelity that, you know, not only um, Ross has uh, done to her, but that she has done to Ross, um, they can't tease about that anymore. Ross may wish to, but they just can't. And It's going to take some time. Yeah, and he admits later that they can no longer tease um, like that. And I, I did feel sorry for Demelza, but, you know, I also... I also get frustrated that Demelza doesn't take Ross and what he says about Elizabeth and his love for Demelza, that she doesn't take that to heart. You know, that he has, at least in the books, he has apologized for what has happened between um, he and Elizabeth um, and has said that Demelza didn't deserve to be treated that way. Uh, so he, he and, and their relationship has moved on from that point, but um, Demelza will continue to have, and she says this, will continue to have Elizabeth kind of hovering over her um, and has done since the moment of their marriage, just as Ross now has the, the ghost of Hugh hanging over the them. literal ghost. Yeah, literal ghost this time. It's a, it's a, it's an incredible, it's an incredible piece of writing um, that we now get to see uh, these two people actually having a conversation, a real conversation about what happened, how they feel, etc. Hopefully, it translates. Yeah. onto the screen and that I, is all i'm going to girl, say because i'm not setting myself up girl i thought we weren't gonna do that and i, I we, we we really we have to wish try for the best yes we really I, have to try i won't expect it <laughs> yeah we really have to try not to go into oh, i hope i see this on the, I, I, we can't we can't because we will in the end wind up having our hearts broken like we did last season so uh, George and his quest for another seat in Parliament by any means necessary. Sounds like both Carrie and his father are not all that thrilled about it. Uh, Eva Lee says George is reaching new heights of douchebaggery, <laughs> trying to buy a parliamentary seat and a whole borough, and by the sounds of it, planning to burn Pasco's bank to the ground. <laughs> he gets more and more corrupt. Although that's really what's what Carrie has got a, a real hard on about is is just like bringing Pasco's bank crashing down into the dust. Um, but uh, you know George is going to get caught up in that because you know that's where Ross banks and you know hashtag I'm obsessed with Ross. I really I don't blame what's the name of that Pierce is Pierce the dude guilty yeah of notary notary Pierce yeah. It's all his fault, really. Exactly. Like, Pasco's bank is definitely doomed, no matter what they do. <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> I actually really love the storyline. <laughs> the whole discussion George has with Christopher Hawkins. Oh, yeah. He's a real person. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I Wikipedia'd him. <laughs> that conversation he has over dinner about, like, quote, buying a seat in Parliament mm -hmm. was just depressing. It could be done for just £3,000, which is not really that much <laughs> well in, to, in today's money um 
you know, I and I said he's basically laying down between 340 and 360,000 pounds in today's money in order to do that. That is a shit ton of cash. <laughs> but George is so much more rich than that. I know, right? George is in today's cash something like a 60 60 million or yeah, something it's, he's just it's like crazy. And he built that up in under 40 years like that's insane yeah exactly so you know this is just pocket change for Warlegan. it's crazy yeah he's like screw buying a seat i can afford an entire borough <laughs> <laughs> ah democracy <laughs> like <laughs> in general i really enjoy the parliamentary stuff it is my nerdy jam like I love all of the social maneuvering and manipulation involved and favors for favors. I mean, it's terrible, but it's really fascinating to read about. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of a welcome break from some of the melodrama of the rest of the novel. Yeah. Um, yeah. I was just about to say something about the show, but I'm not going to do it. So I'm just moving on. Just walk on by. Walk on by. Um, and uh, I know that a lot of people just want to speed past this stuff, but... But, you know, honestly, just as you said, it provides a break from the drama that these people, you know, back in Cornwall just can't seem to avoid. And I love the way Graham inserts real people into his drama. Uh, I'm a bit desperate to see and hear more about the lives of Bassett and Falmouth the next time uh, I'm in Cornwall. Right. September! I want to know if they were cuties, because in my head, they're cuties. <laughs> Yeah, and my I, I've got the actor who plays Bassett like firmly in my brain as Bassett, and he's a hottie. Yes, mm -hmm. totally. One hottie. part that struck me particularly uh, was when Elizabeth was suggesting to go more, for more of a low key approach to the dinner with Hawkins, and George just vetoes that because, well, generally Elizabeth does understand how to behave in front of gentry. She doesn't really know how to account for the power dynamic between the nouveau riche thing and Gentry, because mm -hmm. it's not her scene. Yeah. I mean, George has to work twice as hard to earn these people's respect. He literally has to throw money at them. <laughs> <laughs> and the respect doesn't work, so he goes to just fear, like, yeah. I will ruin you. Mm -hmm. So it's good that Winston is always drawing attention to this, because even seven books in, it can sometimes get lost on modern readers that George is actually the underdog, you know, <laughs> and it makes him slightly more sympathetic to me. Mm. I mean, yeah, he's a dick, but he's still the, un you know, he's the underdog. Mm -hmm. Ross, by contrast, is hugely privileged and is just like coasting through the parliamentary system based on the fact that he's one of them. Yeah, yeah. Oh, no. So, Demelza's at it again with the matchmaking. Oh, God. Yeah. <laughs> so, what did you think of her choice for Drake? Now, for me personally, uh, is it weird that I prefer her for Drake than Morwenna? Uh, no. <laughs> no, not at all. Not at all. She's she's actually, she's perfect for him. Right? Like, it's not too surprising given my feelings about the whole Morwenna-Drake relationship. It can be summed up with a puke emoji. Um, <laughs> But given her temperament and social class, I think she's just much better suited for Drake. This was highlighted in the following passage from Demelza's perspective, admittedly. The trouble with Rosina, Demelza thought, was that she was betwixt and between. With all the skill in her finger, she was able to dress in humble good taste. She'd even taught herself to read and write. But these skills and small evidences of a wish to be different set her above the ordinary miner or fisherman with his untutored manners and blunt approach to life. You know something? Sounds um, kind of familiar, doesn't it? I mean, who else is sort of like that? But who else hmm. is betwixt and between? Hmm. Hmm. <laughs> yeah, so, she, she sees so much of herself in Rosina. She really does. But then what does that mean? Does that mean that, that she sees... No, no, I'm not going there. It, I, just, <laughs> it just gets very incesty if you go down. I, yeah, exactly. Exactly. I'm not going down that road either. Yeah. Slamming doors in my brain. So I know the whole Rosina-Drake thing will never be a grand romance of the century. 
and it's really bloody practical. And he probably won't end up getting the crap beat out of him <laughs> for pursuing her, mm-hmm. unlike his previous relationship. So it's already an upgrade from Rowena. Yeah. Yeah. And several of our listeners uh, also think Rosina would be a great match for Drake. Um, but the boy is never gonna be over Morwenna. Endless sigh. Now, having said all that, I'm like mostly pissed at Demelza for <laughs> meddling with Sam and Emma. So, on the other hand, she really shouldn't be meddling in any of her brother's love's life. Yes! As good as an idea is, I personally think it is, I think it should happen naturally and without her. Very, very obvious manipulations with the Drake, how do you help her carry this really light stool home? <laughs> oh my god. Oh my god. Oh my god. It was just so lame. It really and was. And these kinds of things like, always end up going screwy. Uh-huh. I like, want to send her a copy of Emma, but it's not been written yet. <laughs> yes. We can all learn from Emma. My god, yes. Oh. Okay. Uh, next uh, question, Osborne Whitworth. Discuss. Our resident, quote, repugnant rapist sex hispo, thank you, Prairie <laughs> yeah. Cheesehead, or dangerous donkey in cleric's clothes, thank you, Ross, is back and being a bit delusional, don't you think? Uh, River Woman Rules uh agrees uh quote obviously insane he is a perverted self-indulgent self-deluding hypocrite hiding his perversity behind his clerical collar disgusting one wonders if his first wife did care for him as he claimed or if she was happy to die to escape him (laughs) damn you know that's something that i've never thought of until i read Uh, her comment, Uh, you know, because he is, you know, we see him now just being completely delusional about uh, his relationship with Morwenna and uh, Rowella, you know, the whole situation, you know, and he's always talked about, you know, his first wife who loved him and, you know, you know, pleasured him whenever he wanted and blah, 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 you know, honest to God, I think that she was probably wanting to shuffle off this mortal coil just to escape him. How did she end up dying? We never know. We never know. Oh, she totally committed suicide. (laughs) That's the only explanation. She was like, I ain't dealing with this anymore. Exactly. I I, I am done. Um, You know, and if I could stomach the thought of writing Osborne Whitworth, um, I might explore that thread. Um, Because... That would be a fascinating uh, story to come up with. A prequel. A prequel. Yes. The the mental explorations of Whitworth's first wife. Do we even know what her name was? I don't think so. Yeah. Or or she has one and we've forgotten it. But it would make sense if she didn't have one because that's how important she seems to be in his mind. Yeah. He, remember, this is a man whose wife, died and while he was still in mourning like a week later was negotiating <laughs> to marry Morwenna. Yeah. What a freaking pig. I agreed. Mm. So don't get me wrong. He's disgusting and just an awful individual. But I really enjoy reading his point of view. <laughs> I mean, more so now that he isn't raping Morwenna. Yeah. But... <laughs> I think uh, Winston Wright, such an incredibly vivid character with Mm -hmm. so much irony that I can't help but find his chapters sort of darkly humorous. (laughs) I mean, Ozzy's in a monologue glossing over his affair with Rowella and painting Morwenna as like a willing sex partner in particular struck me as exquisite in character, just so wrong. I know I should be rooting for him to get shoved off a cliff, but then I would just miss the saga's best Disney villain. <laughs> That's true. He has uh, he has overtaken uh, George in that respect. Far more disgusting, mm-hmm. especially with this toe sucking. Um, oh God! Did you oh. have to bring that up? 
Always. Oh, oh woman. Uh, speaking of this whole nonsense, uh, Rowella's, quote, subtle <laughs> letter attempting to lure Ozzy to her home. <laughs> which we can't forget, he actually pays for. He is paying for that house. Yep. <laughs> yep. Just an obvious start-up of something with them again. Just just really cleverly done. Another example of Winston's mastery of tone because Rowella's character walks this tightrope between possible innocence and depravity and you never quite know what she really is. It's really quite interesting and refreshing. <laughs> yeah. You know, you know, the more I think about this, the more I think I will start toying around with that idea. I think that Do would it. be I think it would be really interesting um interesting path to follow. So <laughs> let's this see. It's gonna be like your wide sagasso see. <laughs> oh God. Okay. Uh next question. Can you pick out a passage that strikes you as particularly profound or interesting? Please share it and why. So we had a question about this from Attorney MSB3 about the line where Ross tells Demelza he'd invited two women up to his room while he was in London. Were they prostitutes? I'm going to go with women. Yeah. I well, Demelza, Demelza uh, later says that they were harlots, but... That could just be an insult, like yeah. calling somebody a slag. Yeah. <laughs> so he... I don't understand why that was included in the scene why did Ross choose to, to tell Demelza? What did he think her reaction would be? I mean, yeah. To me, her reaction was that he was entitled to do as he liked because of her infidelity, which did not sit well with me. What was the purpose of that exchange in the scene and in bigger context in the relationship the relationship between Ross and Demelza? Do you have any ideas? Well, first of all, uh, if you think about it, uh, Ross's decision to invite these two women up to his room and then uh, to send them away before anything happened, uh, does that sound like a parallel of something that may have happened in Warlegan? A Scottish man, perhaps? Exactly. Demelza, Demelza did the exact same thing with McNeil. Um, you know, and after, he did not react positively. Yeah, you know, with, <laughs> with you know... Ross's infidelity, you know, Demelza said, "Okay, fine, I'm gonna I'm go and do this thing," and and it didn't end well um, for poor, well, poor, quote poor uh, Captain McNeil uh, because she changed her mind. Well, that's the same thing that Ross does, you know. Um, I I agree that she probably thought that he was entitled to do this because of what she had done. I mean, they considering how they left things at the end of four swans, you know, he had just gotten the parliamentary seat, you know, the, the day that he learns that, uh, Hugh Armitage has died. And so he comes home, you know, Demels is missing has no idea where she is. The the anger and the hurt that he had been kind of carrying around with him after discovering the poem in her pocket and seeing her reaction when she sees Hugh in such bad straits. Uh, I think that he had kept that buried for some time and then Hugh dying... Demels is gone, that all bubbles forth, and he's just pissed, pissed, pissed about the whole situation. Um, my, my feeling is that Ross winds up going off to London fairly soon after that happened, and they didn't have the chance to come to any kind of resolution before he did. So, you know, he wound up going off to London pissed angry hurt um and so he winds up doing the exact same thing that she did with mcneil and had the exact same response 
I don't want them. I want you. Um, but, you know, I think, and we've talked about this uh, a little bit earlier, that, um, you know, moments before the exchange that he has with her, where he brings up the, the two women, uh, you know, he's attempting to find a teasing way back to her uh, in order to avoid the real conversation that needs to be said. Um, and then when she bursts into tears, you know, that's when Ross decides to kind of test her assumptions. You know, she asks these questions, perhaps in the hopes that he'll categorically deny the temptations of other women, be they, quote, harlots or fine ladies, because of her insecurity, A, about Elizabeth, and B, about her class that hangs around her neck all the time. You know, instead of giving Demelza a cascade of foppery, you know, like she's received from Armitage, Ross tells her that of all of the women that he has seen in London, be they high-class harlots or very fine ladies, they cannot and do not compare to her. You know, whether she finally hears that, we don't know. But, you know, Ross basically tells her, no one compares to you. No one. Um, Rita had uh, the final bit of that conversation um, and read that a little bit earlier in the show. And that's the real conversation. The real confession, you know, uncomplicated with philosophical bantering or goopy hearts and flower poetry. It's raw. It's there for the taking. And will she hear it? Will she believe it? I don't know. That's for the rest of the book. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Uh, absolutely addicted Podarchy continued with one of her favorite passages. Quote, I had no idea when I came home how we were to meet. I have no idea at the moment whether we shall ever laugh together again in that way. I want you, I want you, but there's anger and jealousy in it still, and they die hard. I can't say more, I can't promise that tomorrow it will be this, this way between us or like that. Nor can you, I'm sure. You're right in saying I'm a stranger, but I'm a stranger who knows every inch of your skin. We have to go on from there, in a sense, to start again. Oh. I mean, how? After these exchanges, can anyone ever doubt Ross's love for his wife? I mean, that is absolutely beautiful. Oh, my God. And they fuck. <laughs> I mean, to me, that is so much hotter than any of that bullshit poetry that she got from that pig Armitage. Yeah, I said it. I said it. I said it. <laughs> I mean, you'd have to be John Keats to impress me at this point. Like, poetry. <laughs> mm-hmm. Uh, River Woman Rules said in discussing his estrangement from Demelza, Ross observes to Dwight, quote, feelings spring from the depths of one's entails to master those when they come needs a, needs a control, an iron control of one's tongue, one's eyes, one's very thoughts. So Winston Gray is particularly gifted at having his characters express, express emotions that we have all felt. This passage makes the conversation between Ross and Dwight realistic and captures feelings that most of us have felt at one time or another. It's what makes the product of also enduring. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So my favourite passage is just far too long to read, but <laughs> it's like the entire section from George's mum's perspective where you finally get an in-depth description of how Nicholas Willigan made his money. Uh-huh. And... Surprise, surprise, it was largely down to his marriage to uh, George's mother that he had enough money to start his empire, because behind every great man is a woman who paid for everything. <laughs> Preach! <laughs> that was a great section. That was a great section. Question or observation of your choice? This is optional, but feel free to share whatever question or observation you've made about the book so far. Evil Evie says, uh, the motive of patterns and history repeating itself seems to be very strong in this book. Oh my god, yes. Um, with Ross's inner monologue at the beginning, as we've discussed, 
Uh, Ross commenting about how similar Jeffrey Charles is to Francis now. And Dwight and Caroline about to lose baby Sarah, where Ross and Demelza also lost their first baby girl. I wonder how it will crop up again throughout the book. Oh, I've, with a flood of tears. Yeah, I've I've read ahead to prep for next week's uh, questions, and uh, just hold on to your seats, folks. <laughs> Absolutely addicted. Podocky said Winston Graham knew relationships, didn't he? And his eloquence, this saga is so very well written and expressed. I had no idea how we were to meet. Passage was an extremely moving one for me. The raw honesty in it for any of us that have struggled in a relationship, this passage means everything. And Attorney MSB3 said, This is one of my favourite books in the series. I'm cautiously optimistic about seeing it done on the TV show. What TV show? And Prairie Cheesehead actually had a really uh, interesting observation um, that she shared with us. And uh, she says, Although the actual act of infidelity on both Ross and Demelza's parts occurred in other books, I have a general observation about both of their instances. They do not conform to the generally accepted psychological reasons why a person cheats. A man cheats because he has needs that are not being met. There is nothing in the books that suggests that Ross's needs are not being met. His indiscretion was a spontaneous, completely spur-of-the-moment thing that happened in a very highly emotionally charged environment. He did not go to Trenwith that night with the intention of sleeping with Elizabeth. (laughs) Demelza's indiscretion could be classified as a spur-of-the-moment thing, too. And from a psychological standpoint... Women cheat because they are craving an emotional closeness they are not getting from their partner. However, in the books, this lack of emotional closeness between her and Ross does not exist. Uh, Even on TV, it's tenuous at best. The book version of her indiscretion always felt to me as if she gave in because Armitage finally wore her down and partly because she pitied him. I think she was taken with the idea that a man from the upper class who behaved according to his class seemed to be taken with her, but keep his hands to himself, unlike Hubert Druggen. But both Ross and Demelza react to the other's infidelity very much in line with how men and women react when they're the one who has been cheated on. But since we're dealing with the fallout from what happened in the previous novel, I'm going to focus on Ross. Ross, although he may not say so in many words, is devastated because Demelza acted on an attraction. I think there is some anger directed towards himself because he took for granted that she would never act on this attraction for another man. I think that, as it is typical of other men, there is a bit of ego involved. I think he wonders where he went wrong. I think he I also think he feels seriously betrayed, but on top of that there is more guilt and resentment because the other man is dead and was very ill before he died. We're not supposed to speak ill of the dead. I think the guilt is that he is thinking ill of the dead, and the resentment is being put into a position where he is angry with someone who isn't here to answer to it, and partly because he will never get the chance to confront Hugh Armitage. I don't think it is enough for Ross to hear Demelza say whatever was going on with Hugh is over. I think he needs to witness her saying it directly to Hugh, but this will never happen. Although nothing is ever written specifically to this issue, there is a part of me that believes that Ross has to have some resentment over the fact that a man he saved from prison returns the favor by seducing Ross's wife. How could he not resent that? Yay! I know that was a lot to take in, uh, but you know, let's let's unpack that a little bit. Um, you know, I think what she says about uh, speaking ill of the dead is spot freaking on. Um, you know, Ross has got all of this stuff swirling around in his head, but you're not supposed to speak ill of the dead, and so he can't say, you know. Hugh Armitage is an absolute pig and, you know, blah, 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 blah. He can't do that because, A, the dude isn't around anymore, and B, he's dead. I definitely agree with the part where I feel like he feels a lot of guilt. Mm -hmm. I think he internalizes 
almost all all the conflicts in his life he eventually feels like he's responsible for all of them i think he probably blames himself for demelza cheating on him which i don't think it really had anything to do with him at all but in ross's mind yeah he probably thinks that if he like had not cheated before and maybe paid her more attention or something i don't know like this i don't personally think there's anything he could have done the only thing that he could have done would have been to confront uh armitage during the either the initial courtship i hate to use that term but you know when he when ross first notices that demelza is being kind of drawn into this young man you know, if Ross had confronted him and said, dude, step away from my wife and had been very direct about that, then perhaps Ross thinks this wouldn't have happened. I mean, perhaps, but mm-hmm. there's no guarantee that that wouldn't have drawn them closer together at the end of the day. Yeah. Uh, it would have made him like a gigantic hypocrite as well, which exactly. is the other thing lingering in the background. Exactly. And um, I think that's the reason why he didn't say anything. He, yeah. Yeah, because if he did, he would have been like the biggest hypocrite on the planet. And that's it for our questions uh, for the book club. But now it's time for... Paul Dark News! Paul Dark News! Congratulations to Eleanor Tomlinson, who who won the Breakout Award at the Newport Beach Film Festival in London. Go, Eleanor! Yay! Yay! And then a week ago, Inkfest hosted Poldark on Stage, a Q&A session with Debbie Horsfield and producers Karen Thrussell, Damian Timmer, and Rebecca Keane. Uh, we were not able to be there, but everyone's favorite Poldark blog, Poldarked, was... Uh, the following information was found on their write-up. We'll link it. Uh, we'll link to the blog post uh, so that you can go and read all the details. But the main headlines from the event are as follows: Damien said the fifth series of Poldark is quote in discussion. Hashtag side eye. No update on when Series 4 will air, but they think it will be slightly earlier than last year's Series 3. But yeah, yay? Yay for, yay for earlier? Yeah. 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 Uh, and lastly, Series 4 will take us to the end of the Angry Tide. So hashtag praise Jeebus, because there was some rumors that it would be dragged out. <laughs> Well then, hashtag, what the hell is left to do for series five? Uh, nothing good. Uh, yeah. Nothing. Nothing good. good. Nothing good. Um, so, we have reached the end of this week's podcast. Thank you for listening, and tune in next week for discussions of chapters 7 through 12. If you want to participate, the questions will be up on our Tumblr blog and Facebook, uh, or you can hit us up on Twitter or email us at poldarkpodcast at gmail.com. We are on all of your social medias under Poldark Podcast, and we would love it if you would give us a review on iTunes. Seriously. Mamas need uh, more reviews on iTunes. So we will see you next time. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. I see lovers in the streets walking without a care They're wearing out loud like there's something in the air Oh, well I don't care They're treading lightly, no they don't sink in There's no trucks to follow They don't care where they're going If they're lucky, yeah, they'll, they'll get to see And if they're really, really lucky, they'll get to feel And they can't
kick so hard, break your bones, cut so deep, hit your soul, tears your skin, make your blood flow. It's better that you know that love is hard. Love takes hostages, gives them pain, gives someone the power to hurt you again and again. Oh, but they don't care. Oh, and if they're lucky, yeah, they'll, they'll get to see. And if they're really, really lucky, they'll, they'll get to feel. And if they're they're truly blessed and they get to believe And if you're damned you'll never let yourself be deceived And it kicks so hard, breaks your bones, cuts so deep Hits your soul, tears your skin and makes your blood flow That love is hard It kicks so hard It breaks your bones Cut so deep, hit your soul, tears your skin, and makes your blood flow. It's better than I know. It kicks so hard, it breaks your bones. It cuts so deep, hits your soul, tears your skin, and makes your blood flow. Nothing, no